Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Centenary Everyday Podcast. I'm Doug Penninger, your host, and I'm super excited today to welcome two special guests to our episode. One is Mark Iaconelli, and I'm going to read his bio in just a moment. And the other is our, our dear friend, Tammy Pollock, who serves as the uh, youth minister here at Centenary. But before we get to the, the fun conversation, let me introduce Mark and read his bio to you. And I want to, I'm going to read it because I want to make sure I get this right. Um, Mark Iaconelli is a speaker, facilitator, and the author of five previous books. As founder of the Director of the Hearth, a nonprofit, Iaconelli has worked with the Lilly Endowment, Compassion International, and the Mexican-American Cultural Center of Austin in Texas. Among other organizations, Iaconelli holds a MA in Christian Spirituality from the Graduate Theological Union and received a Spiritual Direction Diploma from San Francisco Theological Seminary. Profiles of Iaconelli's work have appeared on the Wall Street Journal, as well as BBC Radio 4, NPR, and ABC World News Tonight. He and his wife have three adult children and live in Ashland, Oregon. There's the formal part. Got it right. We got through it. Yes. I was hoping. <laughs> Sometimes you never know. Um, we're so, I'm just beyond honored to have you here. Um, Thank you. Having read I'm your, the one who's honored. Having read your book, um, I mean, really, I read through it last week. It could not put it down. Um, you'll see orange highlighting all through it. And there's special sections where I've got stars and like, oh, God, that line's really good. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, this is really good stuff. So thank you for this book. Um, yes. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so glad you're here. So glad you're here. I'm grateful to be here. This has been a real encouragement to be spending these days here with the church. Yeah. So you were here. Um, we're recording this on a Thursday. Mark started. He had a couple sessions here at the church on Wednesday, one in the morning. Tell tell me a little bit about that morning session. What what do you what did you call that? Um, how would you describe that to our audience? Well, I think we called it How Stories Can Save Us, and that's, that's also the, uh, the sort of subheading of, of the book. And what I mean by that is, for me, story is relationship. If, if I know your story or I know what you've lived and, and suffered and overcome, I know your human experience, I know something about you. And what we're missing right now is, is there's a, a separation, a sense of isolation from one another. There's a divisiveness you know, around certain topics, and it's killing us. I mean, it's killing us literally, physically, in terms of our health. The more lonely you are, the less likely you are to um, be immune to disease, to to live uh, longer. But it's also killing us politically and and our ability to solve problems within communities. So what we did on Wednesday was getting people, a lot of that was getting people in small groups, asking simple questions. What was a place you loved when you were a kid? Uh, what was a time you had a crush when you were young? Tell your crush story. Um, what was a time you experienced kindness? You get people in small groups and you have them sharing those stories and suddenly the walls fall down between you and me, between um, that sense of we're, we're radically different. We start feeling our similarities. We start laughing. We start getting tears in our eyes from certain stories and moments. And when that connection happens, there's hope. There's hope um, for us as individuals and us as a community. So that was that's what the book is aimed towards, and that's what that workshop was about. Yeah, I thought the, the one of the neatest things yesterday, being in that uh, workshop, was seeing the cross section of our congregation and, and friends of our congregation come together in this room that um, have not shared stories like that before. And I, you and I talked about this earlier. 
and seeing the the level of trust that people gave to the storyteller, I trust you to tell the story. I'm going to hold it. I'm going to hold mm-hmm. it right here. And you asked all of us that were list, listening to those stories when the story was over just to say, thank you. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a space I don't think that we live in a lot um, of hearing. We want to interject as people are telling the story, say, oh, well, that happened to me or um, other components to, 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 to put yourself into their story. And it's their story. And we just had the chance to say, thank you. So. Yeah, we're we're losing our capacity for for deep listening, and it's and it's it's forcing us to live in the shallows of of our human relationships. Where it's small talk, which can be exhausting. It's <laughs> passing information back and forth. Oh, you know, where do you live? Where do you work? What are you doing over the holidays? Those are informational pieces. But in story, what I'm when I tell you what I've lived, or I tell you an experience. Um, I'm really trying to say to you, this is what it feels like to be me. And for and for and for you to feel that, you have to listen wholehearted or whole being. So yesterday I had really strict rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when someone's sharing a story, what's a place you loved as a child? And I'm telling you, oh, when I was six years old, my grandfather had this cabin up by a little lake. And we used to go up there and put a tent outside the cabin and you could hear birds at night. I'm telling you this story. I'm telling it to your body. I'm actually asking you to hear the birds, see the cabin, feel the coolness in the morning, you know, living up in those mountains when I did as a kid. And for your body to totally picture and hear and feel and see it, you have to give me your full attention. Mm -hmm. So yesterday's rules were when someone's telling a story, you're not allowed to ask any questions. You're not allowed to comment. You're not allowed to go into conversation like, oh, that makes me think of just take it in. And when people do that, there's actually a sense of relief and and even a sense of renewal. Like, wow, this is a pleasurable interaction instead of this is something I got to get through. Right, <laughs> you know? right. It w- it was interesting. There was there was one session. I promise we're gonna get to Tammy. You're just like, um, this is this is the this is the Tammy's part giving us a face right now. You yeah, can't yeah. see it, really but not. it's a very I'm, dangerous I'm, face. I'm delighting in this conversation. <laughs> well, it's this is the part about our our podcast that I am pretty intentional about. I don't like a scripted podcast. I like to have, here's where I think I might go, but then the conversation starts. And right. I think that's what I really enjoy. Um, there was one part yesterday when you asked us to tell a story about sacred, mm. something sacred that had happened in your life. And we went into it, and this, the story that I shared with my group, I, I mean, at the end of it, I couldn't even talk because it was just um, an experience that's happened more than once. Mm. And just to, to be able to relive that and have the same feelings yesterday as I had all those other times, it was quite palpable. And I remember the other two that were in my group, they were like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm completely good. It's just, it's just that deep within me. And uh, yeah, so one of the, one of the sadnesses of life, you know, we're, we're moving at the speed of loneliness right now. And one of the sadnesses about the way we are operating our lives is we're not attentive to our own life. We're not present. We're not hearing or present to our own experience. So when you ask someone a question like, so what was a moment in your life that felt sacred? And, you know, for those who are listening to this, you know, if, if someone asked you and they, and they had patience and they, they really wanted to hear, what was a, an experience in your life that was sacred to you? You know, what comes up? What shows up inside of you? What memories or images or encounters show up? 
And then if I say, no, I really want to hear this, and you get the opportunity to tell it, well, as you're telling it, you're reliving it. Mm-hmm. You're going back in time, and you're re- remembering, well, wow, you know, it was it was the, the birth of my son, and I still remember the light in the room. It was noonday, and we had to shut the blinds, and I remember seeing his eyes for the first time and holding him. And you start to relive that, and details start to come to you. And it's this incredible gift where you get to be present to yourself through the attentiveness and presence of another who's asked the question and is willing to listen. So one of the things I'm learning is that every human being you meet longs for a good question and a Mm -hmm. listening ear. You know, you ask me a good question and then you give me that generosity of, or that hospitality to listen to me, I get to relive and savor my life and come home to what matters. Right. And leave the trivial shallows that we're often forced to live in. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 I love that. Love yeah. that. Okay, Tammy. So I've, I've, I've kept you in the dark long enough, no, so to speak. No, no, not so, at all. So uh, there's a relationship here between Tammy and Mark that has, it goes back how long? It's So we first met in 1997, mm-hmm. whereas the teenagers remind us now the 1900s. <laughs> you know, it's so bizarre that they do that. Yeah. Oh, you, you were born in the 1900s. 1900s. Yes, I was. You yes. know, like. But um, 1997, um, and we met because I took a workshop with um, Mark's dad, Mike, at a National Youth Workers Convention. And at the end of his seminar, he said, you know, my son is doing this work with Lilly Endowment, San Francisco Theological Seminary, and youth and spirituality. And, you know, if this is something that you're interested in, you know, give me your card and I'll pass it on to him. And so I was absolutely moved by the idea of youth and spirituality as a youth minister and what does that mean and you know and so I gave Mike the card and I think you sent out some information mm-hmm. and I responded and um, was invited to apply there were all these questions and so I worked really hard on the questions and printed it out and had it bound up and sent it and um, Mark called not long later and invited me to be a part of the project and um, yeah. yeah this was a project we were seeking to invite young people to experience contemplative practices mm-hmm. so silence and solitude and meditation to do that with teenagers yeah. and we weren't sure it would work or, you know if it would work yeah. yeah and so we were asking churches to experiment and the first step we had to do was was um, help the youth leaders and church leaders to experience these things of, uh, you know, Christian, you know, what you find in a a, uh, Christian monastery. Mm -hmm. How could you do those monastic practices with kids? And we didn't really, it was just a question. And then we started working on it together. and, And Tammy was one of these people. My memory is you were onto something in your own spiritual life. You were longing for something, a different experience of God and a deeper experience of God personally. And then you really wanted to figure out how could I bring this to young people that would enliven them. And so we got to be in that. We got to play in that experiment for six years or seven years. Yeah. 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 It was a long time. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, I know that Tammy, you talked about him forever with, with me about yeah. the experience. How angry she yeah. was, no, how, much she, no. how much she resented him, how no. much she was hurt by his work. <laughs> no. Oh my goodness. Um, you too. I should not have put you two together. Um, hey, this interview, we're, we're in the first part. Hang yeah. on. 
Yeah, I mean, I think to your point, Mark, like, I, I mean, I grew up kind of a vagabond in the sense that my parents were military. My, my parents were divorced when I was young, and my dad remarried another Air Force officer, and so I was this kid that moved and moved and moved. And so I went, when I moved to Winston, it was my 18th move. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that the place that I found um, my most authentic self was in churches because my parents were so grace-filled enough that when we would move to a new place, they would allow us, my older brother and I, to go to churches. We would, you know, try on a church and see. And But whichever fit best for my older brother and myself is where my parents landed. Um, so they were worried about our Christian life and our relationship with Jesus. And um, I was loved really well in some of those churches, really well. Um, and so my sense of call was to offer that same like experience to any teenager that I was invited to be in relationship with. And a lot of the model of youth ministry in that time was the louder is better and, you know, you just got to be wild and crazy and play these games and throw little Jesus in there and it'll all be okay. And I think what we discovered, what I discovered in the Youth Ministry and Spirituality Project was a deeper longing of connection to the Holy Spirit and to the holiness of God and and be invited in a way I'd never been invited to pay attention to the movement of God and where is God present. Um, and so out of that then it was living that with my church babies um, in Valparaiso, for sure. And so there was an awakening. Like, I think one of the reasons Doug probably says that I have talked about you for so long is the formational um, time that we spent together. Like, I was not the same human coming out of that project that was supposed to be about teenagers as I was going into it, because I had been changed. Mm -hmm. And so in my changing then, was this deep longing to offer that same change for teenagers? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and it was it was a longing I had too. I mean, mm-hmm. I was changed through that work yeah. as well. And you know, what's what's interesting the connection between story and these contemplative practices we were doing is, and it's sort of like what I'm learning about: how do we actually become a different person? Like we can learn more, right? We can read books and listen to podcasts and and download lots of information. But what actually helps me to be in the world differently, you know, so that I treat others differently, I I see the world differently, all that stuff. And one of the things I learned in that project was if I could just be present to myself and to the world, just just stop and be right here, Mm -hmm. right now in this moment, and look around me and see and, and receive what's here, whether it's my depression or my anger, or my curiosity, or the wonder of this moment, that there is an opportunity where something new, I could embody something different than the story I'm telling all the time, you know. Story does that same thing if you, when it happens between people, you know, the book's called Between the Listening and the Telling. And in that between space, I can come home and be present to myself, and there's an opportunity for me to embody a different way of being, but it's that locating ourselves. We're always running ahead of ourselves, That's right. or we're looking back and wishing we were in in the past. And the present is that uh, shimmering, quaking, uh, creative space where I could be new. Right. And um, we're rarely there. 
Right. It's <laughs> and, the, and, and I speak yeah. myself yeah. as well. Yeah. It's that pause that yeah. just stop and um, breathe. Just mm-hmm. stop for a minute and take a deep breath. And that pause is where you can bring yourself back. I mean, that deep renewing breath, right? You know, that cleansing breath that you stop and we breathe. It, it can reset us. Mm-hmm. But we're not invited to stop and breathe. No, and I'm not very good at doing that on my own. Mm-hmm. So to have somebody else say, yes. okay, you know, let's do this together. We'll have a little right. quiet space, you know, for 15 minutes before the staff meeting starts. Or yeah. or we sit quietly with our children at bed and yeah. say, okay, let's, let's do night prayers. But before we do that, we just, let's both just take a breath mm-hmm. with your little six-year-old. And yeah. okay, now I'll say a little prayer, you know, just to stop and be present. I often need others to help me do that because I'll just keep moving. Mm-hmm. In, internally or externally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we, each one of us has a story, multiple stories to tell. Um, this is a rough segue, but here we are. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, after reading the, the book, how did the concept of the hearth come up? How did you, where was, how did that... Um, what was that genesis for you? Where did you, I think we need to try this. Mm-hmm. And once it, how did you get these people to actually speak? Mm-hmm. That That's a very vulnerable thing. And I, I'm just going to, that's, that's the main question, but I want to see yeah. where you so, so the hearth began, I was working for something called the Center for Engaged Compassion. We were trying to figure out how would you, in a real practical sense, help people become more compassionate? This was the question we were working on, and and we were developing practices. This is down in Southern California. And we had a funder who asked us, how would you help a whole town become compassionate? Like, if you were going to work on a whole town. And at that point, um, I decided to take that question on, and I had heard something called the moth. Maybe some of your listeners have heard this. The moth is uh, on national public radio. People stand up uh, in, in New York City, and they tell, it's real stories by regular folks. People stand up and tell stories in their lives. It's more performance kind of based, right. but I, I heard it and I thought story is the way to do it. I'd, I'd felt story in all these contemplative retreats and other experiences, therapy, people tell stories. So on Valentine's Day, 2010, I thought I'm going to try this. And I went around our town and I said, I'm looking for six people to tell a love story. So, and, and we're going to host this at a bar I want six people to stand up, tell a love story, and we'll ask for $4 or four cans of food, and we'll give it all away to the food bank. And um, I found six people. They all came to my house, and I said, okay, well, let's practice these love stories. I didn't know what was going to happen. And they were unusual. I mean, it was, a, it was a retired teacher who his first line was, for 35 years, I hated my mother-in-law. Hmm. And then what happened was uh, he was in charge of taking care of her. She, she was dying. No one else was available. And in taking care of her, she was dying. He heard her story, and he suddenly understood her behaviors and the way she was. And he said, you know, I fell in love with her, you know, as she came to the end of her life. A divorced mom said, uh, terrible divorce. They never spoke to each other. They're both at their daughter's graduation after not speaking to one another, losing all their money through lawyers. They're at the high school graduation. Their daughter is giving a speech. She and her ex-husband look at each other, and they remember this was the core of our relationship. This is what mattered. They came and hugged, and there was reconciliation. That was the love. This is for Valentine's Day. This is the stories they told. We rented the bar. 
It held 50. We had 80 people show up. Most people had to stand outside because of fire code law. So we had mm-hmm. windows open. It's a cold Oregon night. People inside are yelling at the people outside to shut the windows. People are outside <laughs> the windows saying, you're lucky you have a seat. And you know, I just want to hear this story. And it was chaos. And we had these stories told that night. And I remember a, a young woman who grew up in our town, 27 years old. Her story was she got pregnant at 16. She really wanted to keep this child, even though others told her she shouldn't. And she fought off her parents. She fought off her partner. She fought off her friends. And as her belly got bigger in the high school, she was made fun of. She dropped out. She moved home. She had the child. Uh, when this little boy was pay- placed on her lap, she said, I felt nothing. No maternal warmth, no connection. It was like a stranger had handed me this child. And I didn't know, I couldn't tell anybody this because I'd fought so hard. Right. And so she goes home. She does everything she's supposed to do. And after three months, she goes back to work. She worked a night shift at a hospital, cleaning and taking care of things. And she's working in that hospital, still feeling this disconnection from her child. And she's on break with a woman who's from India. And she tells the one from India, I'm not feeling this connection to my son. I don't know what to do. And the woman from India says, uh, do you know we still practice arranged marriage? And I met my husband one week before we were supposed to get married. And suddenly we're living together. We're married. I feel nothing for this man. But I realized I have to teach my heart to love. And so I began looking for little things he did that were beautiful or kind. And I began, you know, just watching him. And over time, I taught my heart to fall in love. So this young woman standing up in this bar says, that was the secret. I went home. I started with the toes. You can't resist little human toes. And I looked at his toes and I looked at his hands and I watched his face sleep. And I watched when he was awake, the things that delighted him. And over time, I fell madly, madly, deeply in love with this boy. She finishes the story. We take a break in that bar and I watch women from outside and from inside, four or five women, stand up and with purpose push their way through the audience to get to this young mom. They form a little circle, and I hear them confessing their stories to one another. I know exactly what you went through. Mm-hmm. And I felt a shame being released, a secret being released, and a deep connection between these local women. Mm-hmm. And I thought, we're on to something here. And so, uh, we began five times a year. We invite the whole town to come. We have six local people who stand up to tell a true story from their own life. All the money collected is given away. And it's a lot of practices I learned in the church. You know, if you came, you'd say, oh, there's offering. Oh, there's testimony. Oh, there's wine and, and snacks in between. There's communion. Oh, Mark gives a homily at the end. You know, he, he, I give a little talk for about five minutes based on the stories I've heard. And these practices create community, they create empathy, and it changes people. When I go in and I hear someone, and I'm sitting there with arms folded because I want to build the wall, I'm against immigration, you know, people coming up here, and then I hear a man tell a story, and I think, wow, if that was me, I would have done the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I change a little bit through the stories and testimonies of what people have lived instead of the abstract ideas. So that that's the project I've been doing, and the book comes out of that work. Right, right. It's so interesting, as I'm sitting here listening to, to you describe all this, saying how, how it builds the community. You, Tammy knows, she's looking, Tammy, listeners, Tammy's looking at me going, I know where you're going with this, Doug. It's interesting that our Love Thy Neighbor 
ministry here at this church is what that's what that does. The kids just aren't serving food. They're sitting with neighbors and listening to their stories mm-hmm. and seeing them as a human being mm-hmm. and seeing the commonality that we really all share. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fascinating, mm-hmm. fascinating. I, I got to spend time with those kids last night. And, um, you know, one of the ahas, and there were many in, in the conversation I had with them, was um, one of the young people said, you know, we're privileged and there's a temptation to believe that that privilege is sort of, I earned this. I deserve to have what money or success or status I have. But what they've learned in hearing the stories of people who live on the street or have suffered financial loss or, or going through difficulties is, that could be me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they yeah. one simple tragedy, one little problem that happened in their family, being raised in a family that was with parents who were mentally ill or something like this, and they realize, you know, uh, I need to stay humble, and I need to see these folks as um, brothers and sisters, and and people who need the same, deserve the same kind of dignity and respect that I hope for. And that was really beautiful. These are young people mm-hmm. uh, talking. It was beautiful. Yeah. Um, so, I have to ask this question, and um, to the to the listener, there's a story in the book that I'm gonna. Um, you actually told this story yesterday at this at the seminar. I was like, he is telling this story almost verbatim. It was so good. Um, but the question I want to ask is, when you and your daughter came across the phone in, in the in the pasture, what really went through your mind? <laughs> so, so that's the question. But I know you're going to need to give some setup to what this is about. But I was, I was like, what would that have been like to come across this person uh, dressed like that? Yes. Yeah. Well, yes. It. Um, so, you know, I'm interested in every human being knows how to tell stories. Every human being. We have story-loving brains. And when you're young and you grow up, we love hearing stories. I mean, if, there's, if there was a group of children in here right now and they were kind of running around and chaotic and loud, and I, and I said to them, do you know there was once a bear that lived behind this wall? Shh. They would yeah. go quiet. Everybody sit down. I want to tell you about this bear. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this was one of the bears that could talk. And you start to tell, and mm-hmm. you go into the story brain, right? So this was a, this is a part in the book. At different parts in the book, I just tell stories. And this was, uh, I used to tell stories about a fawn to my daughter, Grace, and the, about a fawn and a fawn village that were in the mountains around us. And, and over time, she's like, well, why are you just telling me the stories? Let's go find the fawns. And mm-hmm. we would go up in the forest, and she tried to make contact, and, and basically she fails. The fawns never appear, and she's trying harder and harder, and they're failing, and I'm feeling like I've gone too far in telling my daughter this story. And, uh, and then we did, in fact, and you'll have to read the book to find, meet a fawn, uh, playing a flute, fur legs, uh, horns coming from their head. And when I uh, met this fawn, I think I, I think I say this in the book. You know, my first thought was, uh, this is person is unwell or or, <laughs> or most likely on drugs, <laughs> you know. And um, uh, that really was my first thought, and I was very wary of this character. And it turned out the interaction was really grace filled, and uh, a really beautiful interaction. Something that. I still feel wonder about, like, I don't know how other people uh, feel about that story, but for me, it's like, 
there's a deep connection between my daughter seeking. I really want, and with the purity of heart of a child, I yeah. want to find the fawns. Mm-hmm. And then we do encounter a fawn. Right. And, you know, some people could say that was just random luck. But to me, there's a connection there. Mm-hmm. I've never seen this guy again. Yeah, <laughs> you know, course, that was the right? one time I've ever encountered this It was this that guy. moment. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, as the story goes in the book, and you you say this in the book, you're like, oh my gosh, I've gone too far with this. Yeah. Oh, what? How do I resolve this? How do I? I'm a bad. I'm a bad person for yeah. leading my daughter down this pathway to believe this could be out here. What? How do I fix this? And then just, I don't know. When I was reading it, and and you came across the fall, and I was like, oh, that just kind of worked out. And I just, yeah. it was great. Yeah, because sometimes you know you're telling stories to your kids like you think about the stories of Santa Claus and things like Mm -hmm. that and there's a time when you can feel like am I lying to my kid Mm -hmm. and am I am I causing harm by telling these stories Um, but there's what I try to point out in the book there's a number of things happening when you tell a story to a kid there's also the intimacy you feel as you're building a world together in in your imagination with your child that's a beautiful thing Mm -hmm. there's certain feelings and attributes you know um, the ability to dream, the ability to hope, uh, the sense of wonder that comes in stories. Those are important muscles. They're spiritual muscle, muscles, actually, to, to stretch. Mm-hmm. And so we get really hung up on facts sometimes. And stories can create um, parts of ourselves or, or strengthen parts of ourselves that are important in order to be fully human uh, right. in this world. So, so I, I'm a strong believer in, in stories. I did have somebody yesterday at the workshop say, I just want to know, what if the fawn had never showed up? What would you have done? And people get caught in that yeah, moment. And sure. it's like, well, the fawn was always going to show up. That's, right. <laughs> That's what happened. That's right. <laughs> <You know>? That's, right. <laughs> so. That's right, right? Yeah. Um, so, Mark, in your book, there's towards the end, there's something that I've highlighted and I've got red ink under it and a star beside it and everything, but um, so forgive me if I, if I mess up your words, but it says, if humanity is to survive and flourish, we need to do the slow work of congregating and exchanging stories and stories and lessons from what we have lived. We need to nurture our capacities to listen well and speak honestly. If we are to recover the angels of our better nature, we have to move at soul speeds. We can't simply replace the old stories with the new. We have to pay attention to who is talking and who is listening. We have to notice who is there and who is missing. Mm-hmm. We have to go out and coax those who have been excluded from the conversation to share what they know to be true. Mm-hmm. I read this paragraph, I can't tell you how many times. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can see it. Yeah. I bled all over it. Um, I love the sentence that says we can't simply replace the old stories with the new. When I because that's something I've always felt true to to my life experience that you're we are a composite of our experience and the stories of our lives that just because we're at a new week we can't forget what happened you know 10 years ago, 5 years ago, whatever. That's part of our story. Um, mm-hmm. tell, tell me more if you can elaborate on that. Well, you know, you know, we're living uh, in a time where I feel you have people speaking from the ground of their experience. They're trying to say, this is what I've lived. You think of the Me Too movement. So you have women saying, this is what I've actually experienced. 
You have other people saying, well, I don't think that's true or, you know, these, some of these women were trying to get jobs, but they were not, that is not their, they were not in the room. They're not first person testimonials. And when we have that differential between people who are saying, no, I was there, I've lived this, I've experienced this, and other people who are speaking in abstraction, um, that's a dangerous place and that's where injustice happens. So, so I don't know. Um, who's listening to this podcast. But for example, in my lifetime, the progress we have made, and there was more that needs to be made around the lives of LGBTQ people. We've made this progress because brave people have stood up and said, this is my actual experience. And whatever you believe theoretically, someone needs to go and listen to the grassroots truth of what people have lived. And that's why the changes happened. That's why just this week... Um, the Senate and the House, Republicans and Democrats, uh, passed legislation to for, to support gay marriage. How did that happen? It happened through listening to the testimony of people. Now, as a Christian, I believe in testimony. I believe that when people tell the truth of what they've experienced, that's how we encounter the mystery of God. It's also how we encounter the mystery and truth of other human beings. So if I, as I've got to work with people, for example, I've been working with... Um, I got an opportunity to work with Native women. These are, these are people, Native Americans, who live in, in my region. When I hear what they've actually lived, you know, their families have actually lived boarding schools where children were removed from families, where their heads were shaved, where they were not allowed to speak their native language, where they were um, uh, punished for practicing some of the, the religion from there. When you hear the suffering and abuse they've been through, it changes how you understand your relationship to those people and what our laws do. And I know this is dangerous stuff because people have strong emotions mm -hmm. and feelings around some of the things I'm saying right now. But when you allow yourself to actually listen to the people who are at the center of an experience, it radically shifts um, um, your perspective and your ideas. And so that's what I'm pointing at at that circle. There's some people we don't want to hear their story. And we block ourselves from hearing that story. I worked with combat veterans. And combat veterans in our town said, we want to have a night where we get to talk about what we've been through as soldiers, as military folks who've been in combat. Three, of the, three men told me, when people say to me, thank you for the, your service, many of them are saying, stay over there. I don't want to hear, I've, thank you, that'll be enough from you. They don't want to say, wow. how are you? What was it like? How are you doing? I'd love to hear you know, your experience. Because they don't want to know. So would you hold a night where we can tell our stories? Now, we normally get 400 people come out to hear these stories. They told me, you'll get half. I said, no, 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 people love to hear stories from local people. They were right, half the people showed. Hmm. Which they said, they don't want to know what we've been through. And those men got up, and, and women, and told their stories in that room. And it shifted how I feel about um, what we, the situations we've been in, about what it's like to be in the military, about the combat. There's a lot more ambiguity. There's a lot of bravery and a, and a lot of um, beauty in these people. There's also a lot of suffering and harm that they have felt and a lot of abandonment that they've experienced. But you don't know that until you hear the testimony the actual people in those situations. We need a lot more of that if we're going to move forward as a, as a country and as a people. Yeah. 
That's I'm just I'm just sitting here listening, and I could listen to you speak all day. <laughs> I, I really could. Tammy, Tammy, interject something here. You've been awfully quiet. Gosh, well, I mean, you know, I I um, was reminded yesterday when you were giving the rules about listening to stories. These beautiful, like invitations to stories. Um, and I'm dating myself, and that's okay. And some of our people in our congregation have heard me say this before, but I can remember being at an Amy Grant concert back in the 80s, you know? I, I know. loved Amy Grant. I know, I love Amy Grant. I love her, there? love her. Love Amy Grant. Yeah. Um, but from the stage, she said, you know, the word listen and the word silent are made up of the same letters. Hmm. And in order to truly listen, you have to be silent. Mm-hmm. And in the silence, you can truly listen. Mm-hmm. And I've always held that so close to my heart because we do live in such a noisy world. Mm-hmm. Everything's noisy. The, even the screens are noisy. You know, like my phone's vibrating over here. Um, we're we're so filled up with noise. And when we get quiet, sometimes that makes us uncomfortable because we pay attention to things that are uncomfortable. Like, yeah. Yeah. We want you stay over there. Like I, you know what I mean? When yes. you, what you were saying that so resonated with me. I want to live in my happy space, drowning out the noise that makes me uncomfortable. And so don't, don't come into that space. And yet we're denying so much of humanity by doing that. Yes. You know? And so I just, um, I long for a world that is willing to stop and pause and breathe and look into the eyes of each person and be silent enough to listen. You know, it's that in the grocery store, oh, hey, how are you? I'm fine, I'm fine, how are you? I'm fine. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that surface level that you were talking about. And I know that I personally long for, and one of the reasons that I love being with teenagers is because when you say, how are you, what's going on? They're gonna tell you if mm-hmm. you will listen. If you will sit back and just receive what they have to say and ask them questions that helps them draw out more of what they're feeling instead of trying to, you know, push your own adult agenda. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's it's hard. And we notice, you know, notice where we direct our ears, where, you know, where do I feel comfortable listening and where do I feel uncomfortable listening? Right. And you mentioned the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit disturbs the waters, you know, right. and, and, dis- and disturbs us. And that disturbance can break us open to a new way of seeing and feeling and, and understanding. And, you know, right, what I've been really going through the last five or six years is really beautiful um, African-American sisters, you know, in, in, have been coming to trainings and they'll say, you're missing a lot here or you don't understand this. And... They have gifted me by saying, you know, can I just tell you my experience of how you present this material or your experience of, you know, can I tell you my story? And it has shifted so much in me where I get a, oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm a fish in water in this culture. Mm -hmm. And I have protected myself from hearing the stories and and the lived suffering of my black brother and sisters. And when I hear it, there's a deep grief and sorrow and uh, and also a rewiring of my own brain as to who we could be as a people. And when we allow these racial injustices to continue systemically, it makes me smaller mm-hmm. and it makes my life smaller. And so it's a way in which uh, we're all stuck in this culture when we don't actually listen to each other. 
And it's uncomfortable, and I don't like it, and I don't like seeing myself in some of the things that have, the mirrors that have been put in front of me. But ultimately, there's a deeper gratitude. It's like, oh, this is getting me more free. Uh, it's enlarging my heart. It's changing my experience of the world. Um, and, and I'm grateful for the people willing to tell me the truth. When we know the truth, then we can ask for the grace to live into that truth. Yeah, right. yes, and to live differently, yeah. So, Mark, if, if, if our listeners were wanting to go and do something today or tomorrow or this weekend, the app, what is the application that we can give them? Here's where you start. Mm-hmm. Is, is there – what – I know that sounds very simplistic, and it's, it's not that simple. Mm-hmm. But what would what would you tell someone mm-hmm. that here's how you can be this? Here's how you can be the listener. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, it's just noticing. You know, there are lots of times in a day I'm a terrible listener because I'm worried about a financial report I have to write, and I've got to text my son back who's asking for some information. And I'm I'm going to be terrible if you came up to me and said, "Hey, Mark, I want to talk to you." So notice. Uh, throughout the day, where are the spaces where you're actually present to yourself and ready to be present to others? And how could you enlarge that? Sometimes if I have to make a phone call, I'm going to interact with my wife or I'm going to call one of my kids. Pause. Take a breath. Okay, this is my son I'm calling right now. I really want to be present to him. Hmm. Just 10 seconds, you know. Okay, I want to be here. Then call. Or I notice my wife's uh, trying to tell me something and I'm distracted. I'm trying to cook in the kitchen while she's talking and it's, and I can tell she's frustrated. Okay, I want to be here for her. Stop, set down the, you know, the utensils, look at her, listen. So, you know, we, it, we have to kind of re- remind ourselves we want to be like that. And the second thing is to ask questions that invite people to share their experience, not their ideas. Mm-hmm. So when was a moment you were most alive this week? Or today, just like, what was a, uh, we would ask this around the table with our kids. Where was a moment you of gratitude today? Or what was it like um, taking a walk around the lake this morning? You know, you ask for experience by asking a moment of, a memory, um, what was it like? And people share experiences. We get a lot further in connecting with one another than when we speak in ideas, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I, I love that. Take the 10 seconds before you make the call and focus on it. Yeah, pause. And be present. And that's a very different concept. For the, I would guess, I know I'm speaking for me, for the majority of us. It's me like, too. I'm going to call yeah. him right now. Mm-hmm. That's, that's interesting. I know that we've been going here for quite a while, and I know that you've got some, uh, Mark has a very busy schedule, and I, don't, I want to honor that. Um, before we say goodbye, any last words that you want to share with our listeners? Words of wisdom, so to speak. Well, I mean, I guess I just want to say that um, if there's someone who's listening who's feeling anxious or lonely or hurting or disconnected, that's a little cry from your own soul, and it should be honored. And, and it's not the last word. It's, it's an invitation to slow down and be more, become more connected to what's around you. That includes your home, the people who love you, the grass outside the window, um, as well as the strangers. And so, um, so pay attention to that loneliness. It's trying to direct you somewhere. That's God within you saying, this is unsatisfying. And there's another way 
And if you slow down and start to take in the love you already have that comes from the sun that rises in the morning, that comes from the kindness of the person at the bus stop who says good morning, that comes from the, the letter your grandmother wrote you 20 years ago that you have in that box that you could go back and read. There are little signs of love that come that God plants in every life. And if you slow down and take those in, you can begin to address that, that loneliness and alienation that, that's hurting us right now. Yeah. So. Mark, thank you. Um, to our listening audience, I, I wish you could be in the room with us. It's just, it's just magical for me. I know it is for Tammy as well, and I'm not just saying that. I, I mean that. Um, on the cover of his book, a quote from Anne Lamott, an owner's manual for the soul. That is really powerful, and it's so true. Um, To all of our listeners, I would encourage you to get Mark's book and read it and mark it up with your highlighters and pens and just, it's going to, it will move you. The book is Between the Listening and the Telling, How Stories Can Save Us by Mark Iaconelli, and it has been a complete honor to have you here today. Um, I must confess, and Tammy knows this. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to begin with this guy. And she's like, oh, trust me, you're going to be good. You're, you guys, it, it'll work. It'll work. Thank you for making me comfortable um, to, oh, to interview, good. to talk with you, and spend just this fraction of time with you. It's it's been a complete joy. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, of course, I'm in this space because I got my accompanier Tammy here with me, my <laughs> old friend who can hold me to who I am, uh, even when I start start to fly off. So thank you, Tammy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Tammy, any last words before we say goodbye? Uh, I just thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank yeah. you for writing this book and um, all the ones that you wrote before. Yeah. <laughs> ones that we worked on. Yeah. Stories that we lived out and have been told in your other books. But I'm just really grateful for you to be here and um, honored that you would share this time and space with us. So thank you, my friend. Yeah. Right back at you. Yeah. Well, Tammy, Mark, um, again, thank you for just having this joyous time together. I really appreciate it. And to our listening audience, I appreciate your time as well. And I honor your time and thank you for being with us as you listen today. Go out there and be a listener today. Figure out what that looks like for you and see how you can change your world and those around you. Um, It might surprise you how simple it really could be. I look forward to being with you at our next episode. And until then, have a great day. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm.